Okay, has everyone opened up? If not, get to Romans chapter 15. We're in the last section of this letter. So, can I get a volunteer just to cover off um, the verses that we read prior to this? Let's start back in verse 7 and read through verse 13. Can I get a volunteer for that, please? Okay, go for it. 713? Yeah. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Awesome. So let's take that and put ourselves back in context of um, Paul and his time as he's writing this and he's writing to the church in Rome um, that he hasn't met yet. Remember, he's he's writing to a church that um, he's heard about, that he's excited for, that he wants to um, share all of his knowledge with. But um, he he knows of them through word of mouth. And so in verse 14, we pick up where Paul tells them, and concerning you, my brethren, I myself am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. And then Paul goes on and he says, but I have written very boldly to you on some points. So as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given to me from God to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in the things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and in deed in the power of the signs and wonders, and in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as uh, Illyricum, I'll have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So Paul here, as we see in verse 14, um, he is giving this church uh, quite a bit of encouragement. Um, First of all, he recognizes them as brethren, right? See there in verse 14, he picks up, concerning you, my brethren. So Paul's saying that because he's looking at them and he's acknowledging, one, their salvation as brothers and sisters in Christ. But he's also looking at their maturity. Um, Again, Paul's heard a lot of good about them and word of mouth is carried throughout the region on what they were doing. We can remember that if you look back at Romans just chapter 1, verse 8, right? If you flip back there, you can remind yourself what he wrote at the beginning. Chapter 1, verse 8. 
First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. So that's really, really good news, right? Um, it's good to know of a church that's doing that, and we're hearing the praises that are coming uh, about them and from them, and that they're proclaiming the word of Christ. Uh, their faithfulness is what's growing the people there in Rome. Right? There's a lot of Gentiles in Rome. There's some Jewish believers. Um, there's probably quite a few Jews, but the church there is growing. So that's the first thing. Paul's taking a step here to, to call them brethren. And um, as he continues on, you can see he says he's convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish, admonish one another. So let's take a look at what Paul acknowledges um, for their strengths. Uh, what's the first thing that you see that he mentions there in, in this verse? Goodness. goodness. And what's, what's goodness? What would Paul be calling goodness? What's his definition? Conformity to Jesus Christ. And what would they be doing to do that? How is, how is that being shown? Love for one another. Yeah? Love for one another? What else does goodness look like? So sharing the truth with people. Sharing the truth with people. Welcoming one another. Okay, good. So we're seeing some moral virtue. Seeing them acting properly, doing good things. Uh, living life that's representative of their master, Jesus Christ. How about their spiritual maturity? Would this be on the high end or the low end? If they're... Um, Showing goodness, what would you think? What does this lead us to believe? On the high end? There's an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. There we go. So this is a part of the sanctification process is to grow in goodness. Absolutely. Absolutely. So they're showing spiritual maturity, uh, moral virtue. As believers in Christ, as the church, we know, and Paul knows, that they are saved by the grace of God alone. Um, they're living in faith. They're serving their church. They're serving the community. Um, exercising the gifts given to them. Uh, and in doing so, through all that, they're proclaiming whose name? Their name? The Church of Rome? Jesus Christ, right? Absolutely. And so Paul's recognizing them for, for these things because he's hearing about it. Um, Romans and uh, the church in Thessalonica, so we see it in 1 Thessalonians, those are really the only two churches that Paul addresses without rebuke and he gives such high praises for. Um, you can flip over to 1 Thessalonians and look in chapter 1 and see the praises that he gives to this church as well. Let's just take a look real quick. 
1 Thessalonians 1, start in verse 2. I believe it goes through about 10. Someone got that? They want to read for the class? Verse 2 through 10. We always thank God for all of you. Mentioning you in our prayers, we continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, with the deep conviction you know now, and you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit, and so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Acadia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Acadia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report, <coughs> report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God, to idols, to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Wow, yeah. Well, really good praise for that church and for those people there. That's, that's great to read. We've been through that. Uh, we taught through that here at this church. Um, but as we're looking in Romans, um, verse 14 right here, he's giving them um, quite a bit of praise just in this one verse. And we also saw it back like we looked at chapter 1. And why he's writing to them and why he's concerned with them. Um, we see his heart for them, wanting to be with them and go and visit them and share his knowledge. And not only give, but to receive, right? He's mentioned that Paul wants to um, go and give as much as he can to them, but receive spiritual blessings from them too because of their strength and the people that they have there proclaiming the name of God. Okay, let's take a look at um, where it says goodness. Paul recognized our goodness as the fruit of the Spirit. And where do we find the fruit of the Spirit at? Do you remember? Galatians. Yep, five. You want to flip over there? Let's take a look at it real quick. Because Paul's mentioning this for a reason. He's not just saying it to make them feel good about themselves, right? What does the fruit of the Spirit look like? What is goodness? There we go, Galatians 5. Verse 22. What does it say, Joseph? 22, 23. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, Against such, there is no law. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, so as Paul's recognizing these folks over there and what they've done and what they're doing, um, he's, he's recognizing these aspects within their church. 
Um, he sees them as obedient to the Lord. They're being kind and generous. They're, they're walking humbly. Um, and only the goodness of believers um, can walk and provide, can, can provide to their church like that, that are in the Holy Spirit, right? Um, believers are the only one that actually have this, this goodness within them, right? The world doesn't have this goodness. Uh, those that reject God don't have this goodness. We see what those who reject God um, do produce. And that's also in this letter. Paul covered it in chapter 1, starting in verse uh, 19 through um, halfway through ver- uh, chapter, chapter number 3, right? Um, there's, there's lots of unfruitful things. There's lots of things that aren't goodness. But Paul here is recognizing the church in Rome for these things. They're filled with knowledge also. Paul says, being filled with knowledge. And is this the knowledge of the world that he's talking about? Or what knowledge is he referring to? The knowledge and the power of Christ. Say that again? The knowledge and the power of Christ. Knowledge and the power of Christ? Absolutely. Absolutely. Believers in the church are doctrinally sound. Um, they know what the gospel is, and they're able to share it and be firm in their faith. Um, I got a note on Colossians 2, 2 through 3. I'm going to flip over to that real quick and just take a look at what this knowledge might look like. Colossians 2, 2 through 3. That their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and, in, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge. So... These believers are full of goodness, and they're filled with knowledge, which leads to Paul's next point in this verse right here, and able also to admonish one another. When, what does admonish, admonish mean? Do you, know, do you have an idea what that, what that means when he says that? Yeah. yeah but it's kind of like it's a warning, uh, maybe an encouragement to remind them. Yep, yep. A warning, encouragement, reminder. Um, it's... Also uh, used to advise, right? It's a kind of a comprehensive term for counseling one another um, that we've seen used here in the letter, in the, in the Bible. Um, they're mature enough spiritually. Um, they know enough of the gospel and they have the, the, the wisdom and they've been producing the good works in Christ to be able, be able to do these things for one another. They're showing the signs of a mature church. So they're able to admonish one another. You see that? And see how he starts? He's convinced they themselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and then it leads to able to admonish one another. And these are all really good things that we want every church to um, get to and, and raise to that level so that they can grow within themselves in the word of Christ, right? 
as new people, new believers come in to a church, we want healthy, um, solid people there, men and women that, that know the Word of God, whose faith is um, rooted very deep so that they can encourage, teach, lead, guide new believers. They can warn those who might be um, straying, that might be thinking of other means of salvation or ways of living. Um, And they can advise each other on wise things to do as they live, as they serve, as they go to to work, as they um, raise families, as they decide how to interact with government officials, all these things that were going on in Rome. Um, the maturity of this church is able to grasp what God provides in his word and his promises and um, give them, give each other advice so that we grow as a group, as we grow as one, right? And that's the goal, that we do this together in Christ. That's a really good point because, I mean, obviously we don't want this to be in churches where, you know, they don't even care enough to point out something that someone needs to, like, work on. Right. Like a sin issue they have, even. So, yeah. I think Paul really sees this is a mature aspect of this church. Yeah, he, and he's definitely pointing that out. And it's vital that there's goodness and knowledge and not one or the other. Mm-hmm. You can't properly define goodness without true knowledge. Absolutely. And knowledge without goodness just puffs people up in their area. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it has to be both for maturity. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it takes all of this together um, to get to that point of maturity. And I'm, I'm sure you all have thought through it too, but a church where they just have one or two very, very solid leaders that know what they're doing, and the rest of the people there are just at this super low level and, and can't do any of those things themselves, it's not a very mature church either, right? Everyone is to be raised together, so it's not resting on just one or two people doing all the spiritual lifting in the whole church. It takes the body um, to do it together. And again, Paul's recognizing this in this church in Rome. Um, that term, ad- admonishing, it's, as we talked about, um, Christians coming alongside one another for spiritual and moral counseling. They're, they're helping each other. It can be, if we look at it today, in the context of here and now, and doing this as we meet on Sundays or, or Wednesdays, um, but it's definitely not confined to that, right? If that's all we had um, and we weren't uh, a body in a way that gets together uh, with one another outside of here, um, it would be very limited on what we can, bless you, what we could gain from each other, what we could learn from each other. It'd be hard to see how one another lives our lives if we didn't do this just outside of these walls, right? Um, and that's how we're able to come alongside other Christians, um, some that are strong, some that are, are weak, some that have uh, been in the faith a long time but might be having um, some kind of conflict or, or spiritual battles, and some that are brand new and have no idea and just want to go in every direction whatsoever. But um, this, is, this is where we come to worship together, to learn, to grow as one voice and in one accord. But as we go out and live our lives outside of these walls and together, um, we're still to do it together. And I 
I believe the church in Rome was able to do that. And uh, I see us being better and better and better at that too in our church here. You know, I know a lot of folks in this room will meet outside of these walls and have dinner or lunch or the kids and the moms will go do play dates or we'll go on little trips together, stuff like that. It, it really matters. It really helps us grow and um, become stronger and more faithful believers. So it's not just this gift of being able to counsel, although that is a gift. Some people are blessed with that through the Spirit, that they can counsel um, others, Christians, in a, in a way that is life-changing and helps them get on the path of um, seeking Christ. That is a gift, but as Paul's talking about admonishing here, he's not uh, classifying that as only for those people that have that gift as well. It's for each and every one of us to be able to do, and he's, he's pointing out that that church is able to do that. Um, Believers of this quality know the power of God's word. They know that it is applied powerfully, uh, not allowing the knowledge of the world to take precedence over what God has revealed to us. And I make that point to think about, again, admonishment. If we're to encourage one another, and we're to warn one another, and we're to advise one another, and we need goodness and knowledge to do those things. Where are we going to get this knowledge? And how does our faith grow to that point of being able to do those things? And as, as you're in accordance with me, we agree it's, it's in this word. It's in God's word that he's spoken that has been written down for us and given to us um, to learn from. Right? And if you're in, if you're in the agreement with me, is this, this book... These letters have all the authority in our lives, right? We dedicate um, our, our minds and our spirits knowing that God's word is absolute truth. And nothing in this world and nothing outside of these walls takes precedence over that, right? And being able to admonish one another and, and learn from others as they take knowledge from this word it's important that we, we give uh, God's word the utmost um, acknowledgement of where the authority is coming from, what he says, and that we should use that to apply it to our lives over, over anything else that the world may be producing or giving or advising. Um, so many people think they have to go to you know, secular counselors, right, to seek help with issues in their lives. And it could be, you know, physical issues, addictions. It could be mental uh, issues. It could be all these things. And most of the world does. Um, and as believers and as Christians, a lot of Christians do too. But everything that pertains to uh, God, pertains to his knowledge, his wisdom, everything comes from his word. And the only way we grow together as a church and individually is by knowing his word better, right? And they didn't have this full written word yeah. back then. They had the word that was shared verbally. And they had some written documents. The Jews had uh, the Torah, the Old Testament. They had a lot of the letters from, um, uh, from the prophets. But they had to know it so well because most of it, especially everything coming from the New Testament now, was being shared verbally, right? 
And their faith was growing through the word of God being passed on from person to person and generation to generation um, just through them speaking it and teaching it. And how do we soak that in without a book to read? We have to talk about it all the time, right? They had to talk about it all the time. They had to live it, breathe it. They had to learn it. They had to do those things. They didn't have the convenience of us being able to flip to Romans and, cha- and, and flip over to chapter 15, right? They didn't, they didn't have this written out for them um, as we do. They got this letter, and they were probably like, yes. And they're clinging to it, and they're reading from it, and they're learning from it, and um, they're knowing who this comes from. And we know who Paul is, and they know who Paul was, and they're soaking this in, and it's, I'm sure there's some things that they're like, oh, I don't know about that, but... <laughs> As the word of God changes you, it changes them too, right? It changes our hearts as we dive into it, as we um, comb through it and see what it has to say and how it changes our lives. So that admonishment is what it looks like for a mature church to be able to um, grow, to be able to build itself up on the word of God and continue um, helping itself with the Spirit of God as the one uh, leading it all, right? Because you must be believers to be able to uh, have goodness and be filled with that knowledge. Is there any more thoughts on admonishment? (laughs) Well, yeah, Something that can be taken too far potentially. The balance. The admonishing thing. Like um, getting too involved in people's lives and telling them how to live and what to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. And what Paul's gone over and um, stronger brothers and weaker brothers and being willing to give up your freedoms to help the other brothers um, not fall into sin. Um, it, it is this balancing act of what is sin and what isn't sin, right? And do we tell people exactly how to live in this cookie cutter fashion so that we're all exactly the same? Um, yeah, we've learned that that's absolutely not what we want to do. And that's what Paul's taught us, right? That we can have so many differences and live lives in different ways. But when it comes to sin, when it comes to sin in life, that's where we as a a mature church need to step in and admonish one another. But it doesn't have to be sin. It can be, you know, decisions in life. When I come to my friends and I say, hey, we're thinking about doing this with our, our family to, you know, accomplish this goal. What do you think? You know, ask my friend in Christ that. And those are ways of admonishing one another, too. But, yes, it has been overbearing in many instances in the past, in our history as uh, the Christian church, right? Um, We've seen that probably too many times. And um, it comes to sometimes people want to control what the group is doing too much and not let Christ do it in the way that his word spells out for us. So, yeah, I agree. (laughs) 
All right, well, let's go to the next set of verses. 15. But I have written very boldly to you on some points. So as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given to me from God. So Paul's stepping into defending his letter and the gospel. So why does Paul write so boldly? As we, most of you have been through this whole letter with us, why is Paul writing so boldly to them? Yeah, there's definitely parts in Romans that were hard to take, weren't there? <laughs> As you go through it and read through some of these aspects, yeah. It can be a big pill to swallow on some of that. It's very straightforward. He doesn't beat around the bush about things. Right. It, it says, I mean, 14 and 15, it's following those verses saying that he sees their maturity, he sees their ability to... Mm-hmm see these things uh-huh. and admonish each other like you said and so he's far more willing to lay it on him and say you know here's, here's, here's the real meat of it you know yeah absolutely I think so too I agree he's straight to the point um, he's bold in what he says because uh, he knows it's the truth and he's saying it to them because they're mature uh, believers that are able to handle this and um Work with it, right? They're able to go with it knowing it's uh, authority coming from an apostle and they're not going to fight it in a way that maybe an immature uh, set of believers or, or church would. And he's been blessed so much more by the grace of God than he could have ever imagined, right? He mentions that by the grace given to me from God. And as he continues on into the next set of verses there, he explains that more. But yeah, he's being bold to this church because one, he, he loves them with the fullness of his heart. He desires very badly to go there, to be with them. He knows they're mature. He knows they have strength. He knows that they're teaching and proclaiming the right things. And so he's able to write to them very boldly on the points and uh, remind them of lots of things, as he says, remind, lots of things they're already aware of, right? Lots of things that they already would agree with. But as you and I know, just being human and in our nature, it's real easy to forget or let something go to the side and not think about it for a while. And so when someone writes real boldly, really imprints on your mind and on your heart and affects the way you live. So Paul explains what the grace is that was given to him. What is it? What does Paul say here? As you continue on, because of the grace that was given to me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest to the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. 
So what's the grace given to Paul? What would you say? What stands out to you as you read through that and we're in these verses for a little bit? Specifically sent as a not just a missionary to the Gentiles, but in holding an office of authority in the church to teach and instruct. Yeah. And he's been yeah, he's been given this ability to do this for and he's recognizing the Gentiles specifically. Because he's had a lot more success ministering to them than the Jews, right? As, as some of you well know, um, his effort in speaking to the Jews, uh, he, he did put in the effort, right? <laughs> and um, he decided he's going to the Gentiles because that's what Christ led him to do. And he was following his master and um, where, where to go and where to proclaim. I mean, Paul's written a big chunk of our New Testament, right? And the letters that he has um, written to the churches, many, many of which he was there and he helped um, establish and, and raise. And then some that he, he didn't, but he still wants to write to them and acknowledge them. And as we've already identified, um, I mean, he's, he's writing to the Gentiles. And of course, there's Jewish believers in, in every church in every way. But uh, a big part of this is his ministry uh, to the Gentiles and sharing the grace of God and the gospel with them so that they have the fullness of God in them. Well, let's see, where was I? Okay. So why is there reason for boasting in things pertaining to God? As we move on, that's verse 17. Sorry, I didn't read that out yet. But therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. What does he mean? I thought it wasn't good to boast. As he, as he's doing that, as you're reading through, you know, verses 15, 16, does it seem like he's bragging about himself? No. Who's he bragging about? His Lord and Savior, the one that we're all here for, right? Where all our faith is derived from and into. It's giving him all the glory and, and not ourselves. May I read Galatians 6.14? Please read Galatians 6.14. <laughs> <laughs> but may it never be that I would boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. First I was thinking too. Okay. 
So our boasting, Paul's boasting, is all in, in our Lord. It's all in, in Jesus. And if he's proud of anything, right, he's, he's proud of that. He's proud of the gospel. He's proud of the work that Christ produces uh, through him, through the churches, through every believer. Um, but it's all for the, the glory of God, and it's not for the individual or himself. It's not for, um, you know, a church to say, oh, you know, I keep the church of Rome, right? Because we know many groups of people uh, that have done that, and they boast about what this people group has done and um, not what Christ is doing. And it's, it's in the nature of man to exalt themselves, isn't it? And Paul's just reiterating all that here. This grace that was given to him, it's, it's from God. It's given him the ability to speak so plainly and so boldly um, to these, these people that he has not met yet. But he, he's heard of them. He's heard what they're saying, what they're proclaiming. Um, his heart grows for them, knowing that they're faithful believers in Christ. And he's boasting that he's able to be a servant or minister, as yours might read, um, a slave of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Right? He is here to do the work of God, no matter what it takes, and no matter how ugly it gets, we know Paul went through lots, lots of hard things, lots of hardship. But here he is, again, pointing everything back to Jesus. So Paul's knowledge is from blank, and therefore he boldly states it. Source is knowledge from. knowledge is from God. So does that mean as he's uh, become a Christian and he's matured and he's learned um, just anything he thinks of, he's just putting it out there to the churches and um, saying that that's, that's how things should be and that's what everyone should do and this is how they should live and believe? Is that just coming from, from his head and his, his heart and his thoughts because he's saved? <laughs> <laughs> What's special about Paul? What does Paul have that we don't have? Had an encounter with Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty big, right? Yeah, face to face. He has the gift of apostleship. Yeah. And the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, right? And we need to recognize that. And we need to um, think through that for, for a minute. And I'm sure you all have at some point as we've been going through this this letter, um, we're past two years on this letter in this class. It's a long time. And I know we've taken a moment here or there to stop and think about Paul's apostleship through this letter and through many others that we've addressed, but he has given that knowledge, that wisdom, that authority. Um, God's literally breathing through him to write this, Right? So again, it takes that position of authority in our lives as God's word that Paul was used just to write. And that's different than ourselves, right? If we're going to go out and write a book, 
Is it inspired by the Holy Spirit? Can it be good and useful and helpful to Christians? I would hope so, right? Jeremy wrote a book, and I would hope it's helpful and useful and able to encourage, encourage Christians. But yeah, that's why, again, going back to being able to admonish one another through goodness and knowledge, it comes from God's word, which has the ultimate full authority, right? Absolutely. And Paul's, again, just pointing to God, giving him the glory, giving him the credit, acknowledging him for all of this, um, not puffing up himself and making himself uh, look like he's great. Because how, how many times throughout the rest of the letters that he's written, he says he's the worst of the worst, and he's the least of the least. And even back in chapter 7, we read through how he just struggles with the sin of the flesh all the time. And it's this battle of his spirit and his flesh and, and which one wins. And um, that's where it leads right to Romans 8.1, right? Which is such, such a beautiful verse that you have to cling to. You have to, as a Christian in Christ, a believer of the faith, no matter your level of um, spiritual maturity, cling to that, knowing that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have to know that and um, build your, your faith, your foundation off the word of God. And I love that verse. It's, uh, it's one that you know I've held near and dear to my heart um, for a long time too. Okay, as we continue on, Paul says, after verse 17, uh, For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, and the power of the Spirit. Right? So as we're looking at that, He's not going to talk of anything except what Jesus has done through him. Right. That, that's hard to do in our lives, isn't it? We like to talk about lots of other stuff. <laughs> Sometimes all that other stuff's a lot easier to talk about, right? Than what's, what's in God's word and gospel, especially to the world. When it comes to us being together, um, it's, it's fun and enjoyable to talk about the gospel and the things, but it's a little bit more challenging when it comes to talking to unbelievers in the world on those things. <laughs> Paul's writing here to the church of Rome. He's uh, writing to them knowing that they're believers, and he's addressing it in this way. But he's, he's telling them everything that he's written to them is straight from Christ himself. It's not of Paul. So he's taking uh, a step down off the pedestal and again, pointing just everything to, to Christ there. He talked about resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. And that's important as well, right? When he says by word and deed. What's one without the other? Obedience and word, what does that look like in today's world? There isn't a Christian that, you know, speaks the gospel only. But then, but then what? Doesn't live it out. 
Yeah. <laughs> they, they're not living it out. He might look like he lives it a little bit on Okay. Okay. So there's a bit of this facade when that person's with um, other other uh, people of a, a church group or something like that, right? Yeah. And what does it look like for someone who just does deed and not in word? What does that look like? Joe. I know someone who's like think if they do everything right, everybody will know they're a Christian. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's, that's been a, a strategy that I think has been um, put out for some folks that are very, very, very nervous to share their faith verbally. But it doesn't always come across as, oh, you must be a Christian and believe in Jesus Christ, the one true Lord and God of the universe. <laughs> Actually, rarely does it come out that way, right? And it's not just in evangelism, it's uh, in Christian fellowship, too, mm-hmm. where people can come be among us, which is great, but sliding in and sliding out, we'll never get to know the person. And uh, if the person's not interested, perhaps, and opening up about life, that's also uh, disobedient in a different way. It's unhelpful. Yeah, sure. And it's not admonishing one another. We don't have the opportunity to admonish one another. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it looks as Paul's saying in verse 18 there, where he says resulting in. This is the goal of him um, proclaiming to Believers to the churches, right? Obedience and, and word and deed. <clears throat> now, I know for myself and probably for many, many believers, as they uh, are first born again, it's typically one or the other. It's a lot easier, right? Um, and doing both <coughs> raises a bit of a challenge. But again, that comes with maturity. And that's where a mature church can help um, people raise their their own thought process and be able to you know, um, extinguish some of the, the sins in their life they might have and speak more highly of the God that saved them, um, either to each other or in evangelistic type of settings. Either way, um, it's, it's being able to give glory to God and live in a way uh, that you're giving glory to God. That's the goal. That's what Paul's pointing out here. That's what he's wanting to do um, through his uh, ministry to the Gentiles, which was the grace that God gave him, was able to do these things. Then he says, in the powers of signs and wonders and the power of the Spirit. What is he talking about um, here? What, what are the reasons for signs and wonders? Why were those necessary as he's saying these things? And what was going on then? Remember, context, to over 2,000 years ago. What, what was the point of the, the signs and wonders? So that people would believe. People would believe. Because they didn't have this whole thing written out and published for them in this nice 12 font print with chapters and verses, right? <laughs> they didn't have God's word um, as easily and readily available. And God had the power to do all the miracles. And we can read about them. And they're phenomenal, right? But yeah, it was to bring... Um, the attention to what God was doing and uh, bring faith and belief to uh, those that he's called. 
It reminds me of the sermon Jeremy preached about. I think it was like, I like calling MSG or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. Good job, Joseph. Good job. Okay, great. Now, Paul has spoken the gospel boldly to both who and who in accordance to the grace Christ gave him as a minister of the Lord. Jews and Gentiles. Yep, yep. Even though he's called to the ministry of the Gentiles, he has spoken it to both. Absolutely. And he does not hesitate um, one way or the, the other to speak the truth to either Jew or Gentile. Quite the contrast to the apostles, since no apostle ever spoke to a Gentile at all. <laughs> they were all Jews, right? Yeah, and a lot, a lot of their ministry was focused on Jews, and that's what they were called for. We saw instances where um, maybe some started fraternizing with Gentile believers, and then, whoops, there's my Jewish friend. I'm going to go over here and <laughs> act like I wasn't doing that, right? And Paul calls it out, doesn't he? He calls it out. <laughs> but, yeah, Paul's, Paul's heart was uh, led, it was forced to the Gentiles. Um, and man, he has uh, really, really helped us out and um, our, our faith as we've learned his word or God's word through him, right? Okay, so just wrapping this up, uh, goals of a healthy church. Paul, Paul points out a lot of this. You know, we see verse 14 there being the chunk that he's really um, encouraging them and encouraging the church. But the rest of it, 15 through 19, he's giving all the reasons why he's doing this. And the reasons he's giving all point to God. They all point to Jesus Christ, God the authority. They point to the one and only reason that we should have boldness. And Paul has the boldness to say these things to the church. Paul's leading as an example for them, right? They are already a mature church. They're already of knowledge and wisdom and spirit. Again, he's hoping to come visit them and be filled by them as well as, as teaching and preaching to them. So Paul is giving us lots of examples here of what it looks like to be a healthy church. So um, the last, just the last part of this, what would you think would be some goals of a healthy church? And just specifically from the text here, just pulling out what we're looking at. Um, anyone want to throw some ideas out there? I will. Yes. Strong and true leaders that are biblically based, fellowship amongst congregation, and the ability and willingness to admonish each other. Good. Very good. You wrote that out. I love it. <laughs> yeah, and that last part, it really, it really hit me as I was preparing this and getting this ready and thinking about how we um, interact with one another and how we interact with even other believers outside of these walls, right? There's still several churches in Utah that are strong, um, healthy Christian churches, believing churches that we can still ad admonish people there. It's in a little bit of a different way, but we can still do that, right? We want to be filled with goodness. And who can be filled with goodness? Those that have knowledge. <laughs> and who can be filled with knowledge? 
have to accept Jesus. You have to know him, right? You have to have your heart literally regenerated and have a new heart placed in you by him that's alive, that has the spirit of God in it. And then those things are possible, not because of us, because of him only, right? So as Paul points out in that verse 14, goodness, knowledge, and admonishment, those those are really great goals for any church, no matter how big or small. Um, that's where our faith needs to be grounded is in the word of God. And that's the only way to get to those goals is to do what you're doing, right? Participate together to learn God's word. That's what we're doing right now. We're all here doing this on Sunday morning early. Um, this Bible study class has grown bigger and bigger, and we're having people show up and, and participate. And we got a ton of people out today. They're out on vacations and traveling and, and doing stuff, but um, that's important. Doing it on your own, your own private study um, with just yourself or a loved one, a spouse or a child, those are also ways to grow in the knowledge of God. Just having this sitting next to you on your bed or on your table at home and only bringing it on Sundays isn't going to give you the knowledge and wisdom that you can uh, obtain from Christ through his word, right? Opening it and using it every day as the bread of life, as Christ's literally his, his body, as he gives it to us, right? We are to feed off of the word, which gives us life and strength and, and the power of the Holy Spirit to be within us and to do these things, to live in goodness with knowledge, to admonish each other, um, to have an answer at any part of life. And not just Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, but, you know, uh, Thursday afternoon at 3.30 when everyone's tired, you know, having answers and help and encouragement and love. Um, the more of this you have in your heart, the more mature that we become as a group together. Okay, well, I think that's the end of my notes there. Does anyone have any last uh, questions or comments? Other than I don't know where I've been the last couple of years. (laughs) You guys have been going through this for so long. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah, we've been in it a while. (laughs) It's been a long time. Mark, I was trying to remember exactly when we started it. Did you have a date? I will, yeah, probably. I'll look through it was back when we were still pacing Bible church. Yeah. So we're close. Look, we are towards the end of 15 and then chapter 16. And this is just the final portion that Paul wraps up his letter to. And then we will be on to new things. But um, this has been fun. So thank you all. Let me wrap us up in prayer and we can go and fellowship with each other. Father, thank you for your word again. Uh, Lord, please give us humble, meek hearts to come to your word and just be willing to um, submit to it. Lord, may it change our lives. May it change our hearts and our perspective. And may our flesh just give way to the spirit that you have within us so that we may mature in you and love on one another as you've told us to do. That we may be seen by the world as those who uh, love each other more than anything else as we stand out that our love will be seen and it's from you and to you and through you that we uh, want to do these things and ask that you change our hearts. We love you, Jesus Christ. Amen.